You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. First of all, I wanted to say uh, thank you when, when Jesus sent his disciples out on uh, on the 70 on a mission, he told them to rely on the hospitality of others, and uh, I am thankful to be able to rely on the hospitality of, of the good people of the Advent. We, uh, we had a delicious dinner last night with the Pruitts and, and the Claps at Roots and Revelry, and honestly, uh, we could have gone to Chick-fil-A and had a blast. We have two young children, so anywhere, we love them dearly, but anywhere uh, without them at this stage in life is a, is a true treat. So thanks to the Claps and to the Pruitts for your hospitality. Thank you to the Advent for, for your hospitality. Uh, it's great to be back home in, in Birmingham. Uh, I also want to say to, thank you to Andrew and Matt and all the clergy here for, for welcoming us. It's good to be with you to, to share the gospel, to share in that ministry together. And I especially want to thank someone else uh, who I haven't really had a lot of time with, at least in this part of my life, but Gil Cracky. I think he's here. I think he's the one who got me into this. Is Gil here? I have to see him. Where is he? Oh, he's way back there. Way, way back there. Uh, I grew up at St. Luke's in, in Mountain Brook, and every year I went on a, a mission trip to Valley Crucis, North Carolina, called Towel Ministry. And it was one of those life-changing events, and it is there at Towel Ministry in the chapel at Holy Cross, uh, where I met Jesus for the first time, where he, he took me by the hand, he healed me, and he called me to discipleship. And Gil was very much a part of that, that journey, and so I want to recognize Gil and his faithfulness uh, through the years. So thank you, Gil, uh, for that and um, for continuing to be a, a source of encouragement in my ministry. Now that I, I think I've thanked everyone that I, that I need to, um, again, great to be here. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I'll never forget a conversation I had with two self-proclaimed atheists after a funeral I attended several years back at All Saints in Birmingham. They told me, that's the best funeral I've ever been to. Uh, and I, I sort of thought that they were almost professional funeral critics, the way they were talking about it. I, I jokingly responded, yeah, the, the, the burial service is the best thing the Episcopal Church has going for it. It's our best evangelism tool. And they said, you're right. Can you bury us with those prayers when we die? I told them I'd be glad to, but I would sweeten the deal and I would do a few more services for them before they died. Uh, as the conversation went on, it became clear that these two had really never truly heard the message of the gospel. Uh, sure, they had heard about Jesus. They, they heard about his teachings and, and his miracles. Uh, one of them grew up in a church that shall not be named. Uh, as far as they knew, they weren't good enough to be Christians, so why bother? Uh, as far as they knew, Jesus came for the righteous, and they weren't that. Uh, one of them had beat, been beat up enough in the name of the church and said, I'm, I'm done, I'm, I'm out of here. Uh, the other one had heard about Jesus, the Jesus of miracles, and uh, he was old enough and seen enough in this world to not believe in miracles. 
unfortunately, these men had never grasped the core of the gospel. The, the core of the gospel has nothing to do with how good or bad you are and everything to do with how good God and Christ is. They hadn't grasped that the gospel isn't about Jesus snapping his fingers uh, uh, to make miracles happen. Before that day, I'm not sure they had ever heard that the gospel message is about the transformation that takes place at the foot of the cross, a transformation that is crystallized when we are confronted not only with our own death, but with the death of our Savior. And as strange as it may sound, the the burial liturgy is, is my favorite service in our prayer book, right there with Ash Wednesday. The the burial service has a way of articulating our faith in the clearest of ways. Uh, The the language of the service makes it clear that our salvation has nothing to do with us or what we've done. Our salvation is found in the way of the cross, a salvation made visible in resurrection. Uh, The the burial, like I said, it's it's not about you. It's not about your accomplishments. It's not about your failures. We We don't really do eulogies in the Episcopal Church. But it's about the, we focus on the one who accomplishes eternal life for us through his death and resurrection. And my favorite prayer, my favorite prayer is an optional prayer. It's in right one. And a part of that prayer says, We pray thee to set thy passion, cross, and death between thy judgment and our souls now and at the hour of our death. That's the ultimate vocation of Jesus and what he is all about. Uh, While the ministry of Jesus does talk about miracles and healings and and casting out demons and great teachings, it is his passion, it is his cross, it is his death that grant us the kind of salvation that God is showing us. Jesus is more than a teacher, more than a prophet, more than an exorcist, more than a healer. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And understanding what title we give to Jesus is essential, essential in understanding what the gospel is all about. If we don't know what kind of Messiah he is, we will eventually share a message that will leave people disillusioned, uh, leave people like these atheists wondering what this is all about. Now, I beat up on the atheists enough for not understanding the gospel, and I should be honest and remind us that even Jesus' closest followers sometimes forget what his ministry is all about. So I want to read to you uh, a lesson that we heard just a few uh, weeks ago in in the church. It's uh, the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 8, beginning at the 27th verse. Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do they say, who do people say that I am? And they answered, John the Baptist, and others, Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. He asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Messiah. And he sternly ordered them not to tell anyone about him. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? The word of the Lord.
Okay, so here we have Jesus is uh, over halfway through his, his ministry. Uh, when Jesus quizzes the disciples about what others are saying about him, they think he's some kind of great prophet of old, Elijah, Jeremiah, one of them. And Jesus certainly looks like a prophet, doesn't he? Prophets are known for their deeds of power, for their, for their prophetic warnings. And as we have seen in the long arc of our salvation history, these deeds of power and prophetic warnings do not have the power to turn the sinking ship of humanity around forever. At best, these prophets help, uh, help patch the ship back up. Uh, they help keep it afloat. But eventually, the ship will spring a leak somewhere else, and it will start drowning again. Uh, one of my favorite writers, Robert Capon, said, This ship of fools, that's you and me, this ship of fools is doomed if the, hero, or if the villains don't wreck it, the heroes will, right? Humanity, no matter how good our intentions are, no matter how good we are, we will inevitably find a way to worship ourselves and our own accomplishments. But according to God's infinite grace and mercy, God will inevitably erect a cross in our midst to remind us that salvation belongs to the Lamb who was slain. But it would seem that Peter understands this truth, right? Uh, it would seem that Peter understands what Jesus is all about. He's, he's Jesus' closest follower. After all, he's, he gets the answer right. He says, you are the Messiah. While Peter would have aced the multiple choice part of the test about Jesus, he would have failed the short answer part. Uh, like a four-year-old who knows just to answer Jesus anytime a priest asks a question, Peter doesn't understand the weight of his answer. And because he's being superficial, and because his answer is superficial, what does Jesus do? He sternly rebukes him. He says, get behind me, Satan, right? Peter's understanding of the Messiah at this point might lead others astray. He doesn't have the whole story. Simply put, Peter has yet to attend Jesus' funeral. Peter has yet to experience the passion, cross, and death of his Lord and Messiah. His human mind cannot comprehend that divine wisdom finds salvation in death. And remember he said, get behind me, Satan. Interestingly enough, at this point in the gospel, according to Mark, only the demons really know who Jesus is. That's just an aside that I thought was interesting. Um, the simple diagnosis here is uh, the difference between wisdom according to the human mind and the divine mind is that the human mind wants to avoid suffering and death. Uh, the human mind thinks it can overpower sin and death by sheer will and determination. Even more, I believe the human mind is addicted to band-aids. We are addicted to temporary fixes for long-term problems. And the last thing we think we need to do to find salvation is to know pain and suffering and death. The last thing we think we need to do is plan for the burial of our Savior. Uh, as far as I can tell, uh, the human mind, when it has the chance, will look for a way to take shortcuts. And, and because Jesus does not give Peter and the disciples the shortcut they were hoping for, because he does not recruit a rebel army to take Rome, because he doesn't promise his disciples cushy jobs in his kingdom, Peter rebukes Jesus. Peter can't comprehend how salvation can come through the one who will be rejected and killed. But, but who can blame him, right? From, from the human point of view, 
Uh, the road Jesus leads us on is filled with detours. It's filled with potholes. It's filled with terrible fires. Uh, the way of the cross seems foolish to the human mind, but like St. Paul said, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the wisdom and power of God. This foolish wisdom that we find in the cross shows us a God who does not conform to our human desires, does not conform to our expectations. Our God is not a crooked politician. Our God will endure the worst kinds of evil this world can throw at it and promise to be with us even to the end of the age. Our God will not be bribed into a popularity contest, for our God's commitment to truth is revealed fully in the crucified Lord. As the great reformer Martin Luther said, the human way prefers a theology of glory over a theology of the cross. The theology of glory seeks fame and fortune and popularity, while the theology of the cross seeks justice and mercy and truth, no matter the cost, even suffering and death. And as Christians, we proclaim a theology that is literally born out of the grave, a theology of the cross, a theology that opens the world up to the ways of justice and truth and mercy, a way that we are assured of in the risen Lord. And this theology that we proclaim calls us not only to use our words, but to take up our cross to pursue these works of mercy and justice, a truth that we all have the opportunity to live out in our own time and place. For a few, uh, this call to take up our cross means a career change. It means becoming a missionary or a priest like one of us. Um, for others, it means giving up a life of fortune to, to work for a nonprofit. For others, it might mean uh, giving up time and money to volunteer to, to organizations that, that, um, that minister to the needs of Christ in the community. But for most of us, for most of us, and for all of us really, taking up the cross simply means being attentive to the needs of Christ in our midst. Uh, our obedience to the way of the cross looks like offering mercy when the world is ready to condemn. Our, our obedience to God looks like speaking against injustice when we see it take place. Our obedience looks like proclaiming truth when lies threaten to lead the people away from God. And as people who are convicted by this gospel message, who have been at the foot of the cross, our obedience flows now not out of an obligation to the law, but out of a love that we are bound to in a relationship with Jesus, a relationship that is strengthened in the way of the cross. And I'll, I want to leave you with a, a conversation I had a few weeks ago with my Bible study. Uh, I asked those gathered there, what if you had to give up? What in your life have you had to give up in order to follow Jesus? Someone said, I've had to give up my time. Another said, I've had to sacrifice going on vacation. I said somewhat jokingly, a career on the PGA Tour. Um, and these are all relatively minor, uh, as, especially as we look at Jesus and his death, as we look at the saints, the martyrs who were obedient to the point of death. However, our faith calls us to at least ask the question, what do I have to give up to be a follower of Jesus? What do I have to give up to be more faithful to Jesus and his work in the world? And like someone said in our Bible study, uh, and like Jesus himself says, when we give something up to follow Jesus, we learn that we aren't really giving up anything at all. Instead, we are gaining everything. We are gaining the world that Jesus is dying for us to see and be a part of. For Jesus said, those who lose their life 
for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, will save it. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.